All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all the kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank, and his sister stood, as a, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. The word of the Lord. Almighty Father, uh, I'm always struck right at this moment um, that we, we pray, we speak to you, the one about whom we are about to speak. 
what a remarkable thing. What a remarkable thing, what a bold thing to think, to believe that we speak to you right now, the main character in the story we will consider. Thank you for that. Will you be the main character right now? Will you be the main actor, the main person who does something in us right now? Make yourself plain. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, please sit down, and it's helpful if you turn back to page 7 and 8. Um, we are starting a new series today, which is kind of fun. We are starting to a series today in the book of Exodus. All through the uh, fall, we are going to be walking through the first portion of uh, this book called Exodus. And uh, Exodus is a, a pretty famous story, even if you're not very familiar with the Bible. You've probably heard a little bit about the story of God uh, rescuing Israel from slavery in Egypt and bringing them out of Egypt through Moses. And it's really an, uh, kind of a foundational story of the Bible. It's like an operating system story of the Bible. What I mean by that is you can't really understand anything that, else that comes in the Bible very deeply without understanding the story of Exodus. And here's one reason why. In the story of Exodus, it's, it's in what we call uh, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. It's toward the beginning of the Bible. And it's a story where God introduces himself to the nation of Israel. Here's what I mean. When we pick up the story, uh, the nation of Israel knows a little bit about God, but they don't know very much about God. And then God, in a remarkably unexpected way, intervenes in their lives. Uh, the God of the Bible is an interventionist God. God breaks into Israel's story, and in particular, God breaks into Israel's slavery, and he rescues them, he evacuates them, he liberates them, and all of it catches Israel off guard, catches Egypt off guard as well. Um, just real quick, we could pause here and, uh, and already make application. How many of us here, don't, don't raise your hand, um, how many of us here... Uh, have a very low expectation that God's ever going to intervene in your life in any significant way. Uh, if that's you, then uh, you can identify with Israel in the story of Exodus. Israel does not expect God to intervene in any, any significant way in their lives. So Israel is enslaved in Egypt. They're not really expecting God to do anything. They know a little bit about God, but not a lot. And then God introduces himself by dramatically breaking into their lives. And Israel is kind of caught off guard in a breathless wonder. And they look at each other and it's as if they say, well, we had believed in God kind of, sort of. But never in our wildest dreams did we imagine that God would be like this. He is stronger than we imagined. He is kinder than we imagined. He is more trustworthy than we, we imagined. And he is also more alarming than we ever dreamed. This is a story about how God introduces himself to Israel. Why are we reading it? Well, lots of reasons. Here's one. Many of us will have uh, the God that comes to our minds in our imagination when we think about the word God is very often woefully small in comparison with the God whom we will meet in Exodus. 
And therefore, Exodus wants to kind of reach into our minds and reach into our hearts and find our image of God, our, our, our idea about who God is. And it, Exodus wants to stretch it and grow it and make it bigger and unexpected. But there's more. Uh, Exodus is, on the one hand, how God introduces himself to Israel, but it is also, in a deep way, how God introduces Israel to Israel. Um, Israel, when we pick up the story, they don't really know who they are. I mean, you, you, we all know this, right? One of the most vexing questions we'll ever ask ourselves, and all of us ask ourselves this, who am I? Question of identity, who am I? And who am I really? And that question is flying around for Israel. Who are we as Israel? Are we Israel? Are we Egyptian in some sort of way? Are we slaves? Are we free? And if we are free, what does that mean? Those two questions, who am I and who is God? Those two questions in Exodus are inextricably linked. So that what we're going to find out is that as God makes himself clear to Israel, as God introduces God to Israel, Israel will become more clear about who they are. And that's why we're reading it. Because as God introduces himself to us in a deeper way, then we'll find out who we are in a deeper way. All right. All that's just kind of super general uh, introduction. But here's, we're going to look at the reading now. And... And, and here's what we're going to find out. The reading gives us an insight into the mystery of the human heart. Begins to answer the question, who am I? Gives insight to the mystery of the human heart, but it also gives insight into the beauty of God's character. Who am I? Who is God? Let me show you what I mean. Let's jump into the story. But in order to do that, we're going to, do, we're going to fill in a little bit of back, background. Okay? So Exodus is the sequel to the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis. Genesis, most of us will think of as the story of how God created everything. The story of creation, right? Six days, the Sabbath day, the rest, that kind of thing. That's true, but most of the book of Genesis is taken up not with the creation of the world, but with how God created Israel. And here's the super fast forward version of how that happened. So you, you have a guy called Abraham. At first he was called Abram, but we're not going to talk about that. You find Abraham, and he's in um, what is now modern-day Iraq. He has no children and no hope, really, of having children. He and his wife, Sarah, are too old. And then, in a very unexpected intervention, God comes to him and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a family. And it's going to be a big family. It's going to start small, but it'll get big. And, in fact, it's going to be a whole nation-sized uh, uh, family. And this family, Abraham, is going to have a purpose and a mission. And the mission and the purpose of this very large family called Israel, Abraham, that I'm going to give you is this. The mission is that through this big family, I'm going to bless every family in the world. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through your family that, that I am going to give you. Now, fast forward a few generations and Israel, this family of Abraham, is a big family. Not quite a nation, but a big family. There's 70 people. Mentioned in verse 5. And in Genesis, they enter Egypt first as economic migrants. Um, however, Egypt welcomes them at the beginning with open arms. And the reason Egypt welcomes Israel as economic migrants with open arms is that uh, 
one Israelite, Joseph, was already there in Egypt. Joseph had gone to Egypt first as a slave, part of the slave trade, a victim of it. And then through a wonderful story, he became the prime minister, so to speak, of Egypt. And through Joseph's uh, wisdom, uh, Joseph almost single-handedly saves Egypt's economy and makes them the most powerful nation in the area. Now, just watch this. This is super important. Remember God's promise to Abraham. I'm going to give you a big family, and through that family, I'm going to bless all the nations. They enter Egypt originally as economic migrants. They're a big family already, and already at the very beginning, they bless another nation. Egypt is the first nation Israel ever blesses, and it's part of God's plan for Israel, and it's part of God's plan to bless Egypt. Now, with all that in your mind, we're ready for verse 8. Verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, when it says he did not know Joseph, it could mean one of two things. It could mean that he was ignorant of his nation's history and therefore had never heard of Joseph. However, it seems more likely... Um, that it was that this new pharaoh, this new king, knew about Joseph, knew all about Joseph, but that when it says he did not know Joseph, it means that he did not recognize Joseph. He was repudiating Joseph and the history of blessing that went with Joseph so that this new pharaoh was a, um, I'm not on Joseph's team and I am declaring independence from Joseph's God and from this nation that is quite irritating to me, Israel. He's cutting himself off from Joseph and Joseph's God and the blessing that Joseph and Joseph's God gave to the nation. Now remember, is God's plan promised to Abraham is that Israel's going to be a big family and that they're going to bless all the nations of the world. Pharaoh rejects the blessing that God had poured out upon Egypt through Israel. And now, almost immediately, he begins to reject that family. He begins to attack the family that God had formed. And all of this is very important for what comes later, because Pharaoh is spoiling for a fight with the God of Israel. He may not know it yet, but he's, we're, we're going to find out. And this is when you begin to see the mystery of how the human heart works. Watch how Pharaoh goes after Israel. And in particular, in this story, pay attention to what it is that Pharaoh fears and what it is that Pharaoh desires. Look at verse 10. Israel is growing like crazy because that's God's promise. They're growing like crazy, but it frightens Pharaoh. And the thing that frightens him is national security. He's frightened about national security, right? Verse 10, if war breaks out, they're going to turn against us. Now, they had never turned against us, to, as far as we know, up until this point. In fact, that they had contributed to the nation. But nevertheless, he sees them now, and he sees something scary. He's frightened, specifically about national security. But he's also full of desire. What does he want? He wants a strong economy. Verse 10, what he does is he enslaves 
Israel. And the act of slavery is killing two birds with one stone. One, he wants to try to contain what he considers to be a national security threat by enslaving them. But then secondly, verse 11, he uses their forced labor to build two store cities, which are cities with a strategic food reserve so that uh, Pharaoh could use it to manage his economy. What is he frightened about? What does he desire? He's frightened about national security. He desires a good economy. Now, let's think about this. Is it wrong for Pharaoh to be concerned about one and to be desirous of the other? Of course it's not wrong. It's part of his job, right? But watch how his heart works, Emmanuel. God had given Egypt the gift of Israel in order to bless them. Pharaoh, or um, sorry, Joseph had served Pharaoh previously and caused Egypt's economy to flourish. And that flourishing economy made them the most powerful nation in the region. But this Pharaoh repudiates Joseph and Joseph's God. He cuts himself off from God. And instantly, watch how his heart works. Instantly, his fears go haywire and his desire hardens into greed. And as his fears go haywire and his heart hardens into greed, his heart becomes callous. And then his heart becomes cruel. And all of it is a way of saying this, and this is a word, this is a phrase we must remember because it's going to come back again and again. His heart hardens. And he looks at Israel, which God had given him to be a sign of God's blessing. He looks at Israel and all he sees is threat. And so he targets the vulnerable, specifically pregnant women and their children. If I can get at the kids, I'll have leverage on their parents. Emmanuel, watch how his heart works. Because they're legitimate concerns. But our hearts take legitimate concerns and twist them to legitimize cruelty and evil. Now let's bring that to us. And, and I want to, you know, look, please, let's not dismiss this, okay? Because it's super easy for us to sit here and go, oh, yes, ew, Pharaoh and Pharaoh-type people. Roll the eyes, glad we're not like them. And if you do that, my friends, Emmanuel, we're fools. Because if you can't see that your heart works that way, I beg you to look again. And maybe it's easier to see it in somebody else, but be careful about that. But if it helps, look at the way nations work. And look at our own long history. How many times has our nation, how many times have we taken legitimate concerns and twisted them because we fear and we desire, twisted them to legitimize cruelty? Do not dismiss it. And then don't stop there. Look at your own heart. What do you fear? What do you desire? And what are you willing to justify to get it? Exodus is opening up the mystery of the human heart. And it scares me. 
And I say it to you strongly because all this week it scares me. Because what we're going to find is that Pharaoh, in short order, finds himself standing before a living God. And he's a God who intervenes. And that'll get sober real quick. But then on the other hand, watch how the opposite works. And you can see the opposite. This is happier. You can see the opposite in five courageous women. So what happens is Pharaoh orders all the boys to be killed. And these women, in different ways, they all of them stay, say no. And that's how God's rescue plan and intervention begins. Look especially at the midwives. So their names are Shifra and Pua. Say it all together. Shifra and Pua. Do not forget those names because Exodus doesn't want us to forget those names. Exodus never tells us the name of either Pharaoh. There's two pharaohs in Exodus. We don't find out their names. Pharaoh is just a title. It's like king or something. But these women, they get named. Don't you forget them. So Shifra and Pua. And can you imagine how frightening this must have been for them? So they may have been like the head of all midwives for the nation or something like that. But So Pharaoh comes to them and says, kill the boys. And you must understand that his order is not a suggestion. His order is law. And they say no to law. Nonviolent resistance. And it's astonishingly courageous. Where does that courage come from? Well, look at verse 17. Again, watch the working of the heart. But the midwives feared God. Pause. That's it. And you got to see how it's the opposite of Pharaoh. Pharaoh rejects God. And fears everything around him. Even if it ain't scary. These women fear God. And they fear nothing else. Especially Pharaoh who's pretty scary. Now when it says they fear God. It doesn't mean they're terrified of God. It doesn't mean that they're cringing under his scariness. It means that God held their deepest allegiance. It means that they were loyal to God and God's purposes. The purposes of God that they probably knew was that God had promised a big family that was going to bless all nations. And these women are loyal to that plan. And so it, what it means is that somewhere in their hearts, not out loud, but in their hearts, they said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, your orders may be law, but laws are not always the same thing as justice. And so Pharaoh, they said in their hearts, Pharaoh, you may be the king of Egypt, but you are not the king of everything. We belong to a king that's bigger than you. And you're a king who uses your desires to squish people and to kill people. But we belong to a king who asks us to put ourselves in front of those whom you want to crush. And therefore... We put our lives in front of these babies. And as long as we're alive, nobody's going to touch them. And by the way, they get born so quick that we just can't get there in time, Pharaoh. <laughs> that last bit they said out loud. Now, here's what's amazing. They, these, these women, they don't know that much about God yet. They know about God's promise to Abraham, I suspect, but they don't know that God is a rescuer because he hasn't rescued yet. But despite the fact that they only know just a little bit about God, 
when you look at them and in their hearts, you see a kind of advanced screening of the God whom we will meet in the rest of the story. What do I mean? Here's what I mean. It is not just that Pharaoh's the bad guy and the midwives are the heroes. That's true, but not enough. The hero in Exodus is a God who rescues the weak. They don't know that yet. We don't know that yet, but we're going to find it out pretty soon. But what happens is these women end up acting like God before God's great act of redemption. They sort of reflect God's character in advance before we even know what God's character is like. So that Shifra and Pua, they stand up to Pharaoh. Guess what? God's going to stand up to Pharaoh. And then Moses' mother arranges Moses' escape through water. Guess what God's going to do for the whole nation of Israel at the Red Sea? And then Moses' sister accompanies Moses to make sure he's safe on the way. And guess what we're going to find out about God's presence that never leaves Israel alone? And then even Pharaoh's daughter. I love that God causes the redemption to even start within his own household. Even Pharaoh's daughter adopts Moses. And in a few chapters, we're going to find God saying, Pharaoh, Israel's my son. See, by fearing God, these women end up resembling God. So therefore, Emmanuel, what is it that comes to your mind when you think about God? I fear it may be too small. Whatever size it is, look at these women. Look at their courage and look at their strength. Look at their kindness and look at their love. And you will get just a little glimpse of the God whom you're going to meet throughout the rest of this story. But then don't stop there. Because if you want to see who God is, you need to not just look at the women, you need to look at the babies who are under threat. Because a long time after the story of Exodus, there was another baby. Another baby who lived under the reign of a wicked king who wanted to kill him and killed a lot. And this baby, much later on, had a courageous mother. And she feared the Lord more than she feared anything else. And so she feared nothing else. And she glorified God and she obeyed God no matter the cost. And she knew that the Lord was her savior. And so she entrusted herself to the Lord fully. And with her baby she escaped as a refugee to Egypt. And that baby is the one we worship. That baby is Jesus Christ. And just like Shifra and Pua, Jesus Christ placed himself in front, right in danger, to protect those whom he came to save. And the Pharaoh of his day got him in the end. They killed him. Trouble is, that's the only thing that they could do. Which is why Pharaohs always end up being so weak. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And you know what that means, all of this? It means that Jesus is the king that Shifra and Pua were serving. They didn't know his name yet, but they were serving him. And because they were serving him, they resembled him beforehand. And so, Emmanuel, here's my question. Um, whom are you serving? And do you know one, one way to check who you're serving? 
Answer these questions. What do I fear the most? What do I desire the most? And what am I willing to justify in order to get it? What do I fear the most? And what am I willing to justify in order for me to feel safe? What do I desire the most? And what am I willing to justify to get it? And don't dodge the question. Who am I? Who am I really? And it's a really scary question because when you really get down into your heart, you're going to see yourself as you are and as I am. And we want to find out that we're like Shifra and Pua, but don't be too easily fooled by that. We are more like Pharaoh than we imagine. And that's scary. So pluck up your courage and be ready to get scared. But here's the good news. The good, do you remember the good news? Do you remember how Joseph, God sent Joseph to bless Pharaoh? And God sent his son Jesus Christ to bless the nations. And one of the ways he blesses the nations is he reaches down into people with hearts like Pharaoh, like Jim. He reaches down into my heart that fears and desires and is willing to justify a great amount of things in order to get it. He reaches down into my hardened heart and he grabs it and he pins it up upon himself upon the cross and then he places his own heart in my soul and it's called the Holy Spirit. And it's when the Lord Jesus Christ puts his Holy Spirit in us, that's the only way to become like Shifra and Pua. So, Emmanuel, we're starting a series today in Exodus. And God's going to introduce God to you, to me. And introduce me to me. And you to you. And as he reaches in and transforms us, then... Like these five women, he is going to call us and send us out as his ambassadors. And you get ready for your heart to be broken because you're going to walk out and you're going to see the brokenness of the world. And you're going to weep. It's not just that you're going to be angry when you turn on the news. You're going to weep when you turn on the news. And you're going to cry out, God, what can I do? How shall I, how shall I serve you? But you will also weep with hope. And then we're going to sit at the Lord's feet and learn how to serve. And we're going to reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ together. Amen? Amen. And let's start. Stand, please. When Mary found out that she was going to be the mother of the Lord, it seems to me that she realized that all the God's promises in the Old Testament were fulfilled. That God was rescuing in a bigger way than ever he had done before. And Mary's song, what we're going to say together right now in response, we're all going to do the gospel reading together. This song is to my view the greatest summary and response to what God, how God has intervened in the Old Testament that I know of. And so we're going to respond to Exodus by saying this together.
we say. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he that is mighty has magnified me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him throughout all generations. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted the humble and meek. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, has helped his servant Israel as he promised to our fathers, Abraham and his seed forever. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.